One Hope Church. All right, good morning, everyone. Glad to see you here this morning. Whether you had a good long night's sleep or a few hours, as our city did not sleep much last night as a whole. Um, but we are thankful to be here to worship the Lord together this morning. We're going to con- continue our study in 2 Samuel. Um, we're in chapter 17 this morning. And so just um, want to give a little, little brief recap of where we are and how we got here. Um, so just remember, you know, David has been established as king. Um, over Israel, um, you know, he had waited a, a long time for that. He had done well in honoring the Lord. He has, then he has a moment of epic failure, um, more than a moment, you know, a series of days of, of epic failure um, concerning Bathsheba and her husband Uriah the Hittite. And then, um, you know, God is, you know, begins to judge David for his sin, for what he has done, and um, you know, you would think things were were over, but they weren't. Um, You have the situation with Amnon and um, Absalom's, Amnon and Absalom are half-brothers, and then Amnon violates Absalom's um, sister, and um, more chaos ensues as, as Absalom waits and bides his time and then um, has Amnon killed and then flees, then returns. There's an apparent restoration you know, with David and everything seems like it's you know, kind of getting back to normal. But there was a bitterness that had grown in Absalom's heart. And it became a cancer. Um, and, it, and it was not dealt with. It was not cut out. And so it grew and it grew and it grew um, until Absalom you know, has a plot to overthrow his father and take the, the kingdom for himself. And so he's very strategic um, in his plan. And where we left off, um, you know, Absalom has um, won the hearts of the people the people are the majority of people, not all the people, but the majority of people are supporting Absalom. Um, David um, and others have had to flee from Jerusalem, and um, Absalom has come back into Jerusalem. Ahithophel, who was one of David's counselors who joined Absalom's plot, um, you know, instructed him at the end of chapter 16. You know, follow through 100%. Go sleep with your father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Um, and, you know, let everybody in Israel know that the relationship, you know, with you and your father is permanently severed and cannot be restored. And that will, you know, be a symbol to the people that this is for real. This is all, you know, happening and that you are, you know, have established yourself. And it's just an amazing thing that the majority of people who grew up hearing the law of Moses and understood 
what a, you know, should have had understanding of what a great sin that that would be, would still support Absalom. The reality is they had other interests in mind. Their power, their security, their pocketbooks. You know, those interests, um, being on the side of who they thought was going to win, was more important than God's standards. And that's a, that, that's a lesson um, for us, that as we've studied, I think that's a, a lesson for us out of this section of Scripture that should stick with us our whole lives. You know, we don't compromise who we are. We don't compromise the Scripture um, just to, quote-unquote, win or to have a personal advantage in something else. We have to stick true to our, um, our beliefs. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll pick up in verse, in chapter um, 17, verse 1. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We're thankful for the privilege and opportunity you've given us to study your word. Please grow us by it. Help us to learn from it and to apply it to our lives. We thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross to pay for our sins, and not just for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. And as we see the history of humanity, um, in the scripture and everywhere else, Lord, we see so much sin. And it's amazing, Lord, that in one act, you can make payment for it all. Yet we know, Lord, that that payment is only applied to those who believe. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to share your message with others that more and more would believe and avoid judgment because you are a righteous judge, O oh God. We thank you, Jesus, that you love us and that you have given us life. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Also in chapter 16, with the plot, David sends back to Jerusalem one of his advisors, Hushai, for the purpose of um, counteracting the advice of Ahithophel, who had betrayed him, um, and to get information basically, you know, thwart the plans and be a spa. Um, so that's Hushia's job. And so in chapter 17, after Ahithophel had given that advice concerning um, David's concubines, um, which he shouldn't have had anyway, that's a whole other story, but chapter 17, verse 1, furthermore, Ahithophel said to Absalom, please let me choose 12,000 men that I may arise and pursue David tonight. Um, and I will come upon him while he was weary and exhausted and terrify him so that all the people who are with him will flee. Then I will strike down the king alone and I will bring back all the people to you. The return of everyone depends on the man you seek. Then all the people will be at peace. So the plan pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. And we'll stop there just for a minute. Just a couple of things. You know, 12,000 men, probably 1,000 from each tribe to show you know, the whole nation is united in this, um, you know, plot to overthrow um, David and to establish Absalom as king. But just think about how corrupted Absalom has become that in order to secure his power, he's willing even to have his own father killed. I mean, that's, 
that's bad. Um, that's, a, that's a terrible and awful thing, and it shows the corruption that's in its heart. But it also shows us that even small sins can put a person on a dangerous path. You know, Absalom didn't just wake up one day and go, you know what? Everything's been great, but now um, I, I want the kingdom for myself, and I'm gonna, I can take my father out to get it, and, you know, this is what I want to do. No, it was a progression. You know, it began again with that unresolved hatred for his brother. Um, Amnon, you know, what he called justice, to get what he called justice, he was willing to compromise his integrity. And, and that put him on a path towards destruction. You know, it became a cancer in his life. Sin is never satisfied, so now sin, the power of sin, had a grip on Absalom's heart. You know, so when we ask, how did Absalom get to the point where he's willing to commit such wickedness? You know, we have to remember that this sin has been growing in his heart for years. Literally years. Probably at least six years. It's been growing undealt with. You know, and that's just a reminder and a lesson for us. Um, you know, now the scripture tells us that, that people who are followers of Jesus, in 1 John it tells us that people who are followers of Jesus don't commit murder. So there's that, there's a limit, you know. But um, even still, there's a lesson for us who are believers. It's like, don't let sin go unchecked. Like, keep short accounts, you know, with God. You know, that's one reason why we come every Sunday and we take the bread and the cup. We take the bread and the cup because the scripture tells us before we take that bread and cup, you know, to, to examine our hearts, to ask God through the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts, that we would confess our sin. So, you know, that's something that we should be doing daily, right? Whenever we sin and we recognize that sin, we should confess it. But specifically, we have a time each week for reflection, we have a time each week for reflection um, and to ask God to show us what we maybe we had committed sin, but we hadn't recognized it as such during the week. Or we got too busy and are wrapped up in our own selves. And so we haven't taken the time to consider what we've done and what we've said and our attitudes and those things. And so we come and, we, and before we take it, we contemplate and we confess. You know, and that's why you know, we have to keep in our meeting Jesus and remembering him and the bread and the cup is like central to our meeting because we're, we're not just meeting to hear preaching or we're not just hear, meeting to sing songs. We're meeting to, to encounter Jesus. That, that purpose has, you know, has to stay first. That we're here for Jesus and to encounter him and to spend time with him. And we can't, you know, we understand, I think, intuitively that we can't do that without being clean. But scripture tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The, the cleanliness comes through the path of confession. And so I think, you know, just as something for our, our health as a, as a church to remember, 
you know, if we ever get to a point where we don't want remembering Jesus and the bread of the cup to be central, then that's a ref- probably a reflection that we're not clean. We want distance. We don't want intimacy. So in order to not have intimacy, we will go for distraction. And if you ever considered that just preaching and just singing could be distraction. Because there can be preaching without power and there can be singing without worship. So what this, one of the things that the bread and cup does for us is it, it, it's supposed to do. You, I think if you could get to a place of hardness and heart where even that doesn't do it anymore uh, in a sense of you know, you got to have a major breakthrough because you could even treat that cheaply. But I think, at least until the heart is, has gotten to a certain level of hardness, the bread and cup keeps us honest. It keeps us honest and it keeps us on track. So I just want to remind us of that this morning so that while... I don't believe a redeemed heart has the potential to get where Absalom's heart got. A truly redeemed heart doesn't have the potential to get that far. It does have the potential to get far from God and to sin. So there's still a lesson to be learned there, right? Then Absalom said, verse 5, Now call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. When Hushai had come to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Ahithophel has spoken thus. Shall we carry out his plan? If not, you speak. So Hushai said to Absalom, This time, notice this how he switches in here, like, oh, other advice is good. You know, he doesn't want to just set up his contrary. He goes, This time, the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good. Moreover, Hushai said, You know your father and his men, they are mighty men, and they are like and they are fierce, like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. And your father is an expert in warfare and will not spend the night with the people. Behold, he has now hidden himself in one of the caves or another place, and it will be when he falls on them at the first attack that whoever hears it will say, There has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom, and even the one who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will completely lose heart. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men, but I counsel that all Israel be surely gathered to you, from Dan even to Beersheba, as the sand that is by the sea in abundance, and that you personally go into battle. So we, he will, we shall come to him at one of the places where he can be found, and we will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and of all the men who are with him, not even one will be left. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city, and we will drag it into the valley until not even a small stone is found there. And then Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushia the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to thwart the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring calamity on Absalom. So here's how Hushai's counsel won you know, over Ahithophel's. Now Ahithophel, you know, it's interesting. His counsel was measured. It was like, okay, you want to be king. The, you know, the one who's been king has to be taken out. But you can bring back, back everybody else with you, and you know, they'll, they'll follow you. It was a very measured thing. Hushai takes the, uh, the, the approach of you know, kind of knowing humanity. 
extreme, being extreme can kind of win out. And the extreme is, you know, we're not going to send 12,000 people. We're going to send, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in, and we're going to wipe all of them out. And, you know, it's, we're not going to leave one left alive. Total victory. Well, to the extremeness of the human heart, you know, that sounds appealing. And he also plays, he plays to fear that Ahithophel's plan won't work because, you know, your father and those men, they're mighty men. They're like a, a bear robbed of her cubs. There's all sorts of wisdom just in the scripture. I mean, somebody could read that and go, man, I've never been around bears, but I better not be around one who's been <laughs> robbed of her cubs. I mean, there's, there's just truth all in the scripture, you know. Um, there's a lesson to be learned there if you're going up to North Georgia in the mountains and, and camping. Um, don't get between a bear and her cubs. You know, that's a bad place to be. Get out of there quick. Um, but, you know, there could be, you know, there's that fear that, that that plan might work. And then he plays, Hushai plays to Absalom's pride. He says, and that you personally go out to battle. Now, Hushai knows, you know, Absalom grew up watching his father return from battle and how the people would receive him and how he would receive all, you know, the praise, the songs that were sung, the stories that were, were told in homes and around campfires about the exploits of David. And, you know, Absalom wants some of that for himself. Might be a little piece there too. You know, he's, he knows his father got in trouble when he didn't go out to war. That was the whole how he got in the whole mess with Bathsheba to begin with. So he's gonna be like, I'm not gonna do, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make that mistake. I'm always gonna be with my men, and I'm gonna fight, you know, with them. Now, of course, he could have just said, I'll go tonight with Ahithophel. But there's maybe more risk in that as opposed to having the entire nation go with him. But the main reason, now we have to, we can see all these human reasons why that council of Hushia was appealing, but the main reason that Hushia's council is victorious is because God had ordained for it to be so. Verse 14. God was going to judge Absalom and his conspirators for their sin. It said that the Lord might bring calamity on Absalom. There's going to be judgment. There's a lesson here as well because Hushia was, was trying to do what was right and what was just. But I want us to take, us to take a moment in this whole story to remember um, his character and his resolve. Because he was asked to do a difficult job. You know, he was, yes, in a dangerous place in the you know, wilderness with David. You know, he'd gone to David and, and there with the other, you know, David's mighty men. There are warriors there. They're on the run. Yes, he's in the minority, but he's not alone. He's with others. And there's at least a feeling of, you know, we can always keep, you know, at least in the mind, you know, you can always keep running if you have to. You know, he knows David 
had been on the run for a long time, but David tells him, look, you're older. And it seems like the, is the, it's part of the thing, like, you're going to end up slowing us down. You're going to do more harm than good. It's kind of the, um, but this is how you can really help. And there's a couple things. I think there are a couple lessons there. Um, you know, you're, you're never, you're never too, too old to be called upon to do something for the Lord. Um, and so whether you're older now or you will be older later, right? You know, newsflash, you don't get to stay, you don't get to stay 20 or 25 or 30 or 35 forever. The clock keeps ticking. It keeps going. And so at some point, you'll be there. Um, you know, and I think that's, I think I can say it's, it's, it's true. We have too many believers who are content to enjoy their retirement without um, making sacrifice and continuing in service to the Lord. So if you're, even as you're, if you're younger, determine now. You know, my life isn't just going to be, you know, chilling at the beach or in a mountain cabin you know, when I'm, when I'm older, I may do some of those things, but that's not going to define the, the last section of my life. What's going to define every section of my life is following Jesus and serving him and doing his will. And there's not a point where I get to check out of that. And I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be dismayed that they, they wasted the last 20, 30 years of their lives and did very little when they could have done a whole lot. So you need to be mindful of that. Um, and it is odd, too, that... Yeah, I don't know that there's ever been another time in history where that many people have been able to take it easy for that many years. You know, we understand like in the grand scheme of the thousands of years of humanity, that's not normal. You know, there does get a point where you can no longer do anymore, but it's not normal to do like very little for decades. Like that's not that's not the normal human experience. We've only just been able to accomplish that level of not doing. <laughs> so, I mean, it's um the achievements of man, right? You know, like we've gotten to the, we've achieved enough to be able to not do anything. You know, that's pretty amazing, right? So that's, um, wow. Um, in some ways, that's something to be proud of, and in other ways, it's kind of sad, you know, because it leaves people just piddling um, for many years. But we also see, you know, Hushai had to take a great per- personal risk. When he's in that room with Absalom and Ahithophel and the other leaders that are part of that conspiracy, he's the only one there. Yes, there are a couple of priests. Yes, there's a few others in the city. But in that room, in that moment, it's Hushia and God. That's it. It's Hushia and God. They're the only two that are on the side of, of righteousness. They're the only two on the side of what's right. And everybody else there 
and everybody else there in the flesh is on the side of Absalom. And he has to be bold. Because his risk is this, if he is exposed, if his advice is not heeded, he very likely will be executed. This is an all or nothing proposition. They're either going to take his advice and he's going to accomplish his task that he was given, or he's likely to die. Likely to be exposed as, you know, you're still with David. He took a great risk. And we just need to be reminded of that, that, you know, most of the time, again, our risks are small. There are times when God asks us, you know, may ask some of us in unique circumstances to risk our very lives. But most of the time, when the risk is to open your mouth and to say what is right or what is just, again, big picture of our faith in God from Genesis to Revelation, we don't have that much on the line, folks. We have discomfort, emotions. Maybe not getting a promotion. Maybe being looked at as weird. You know, we've got... Maybe not getting as good of a grade in a class. We've got those sorts of things that are on the line. But relatively, in the biblical sense and in the church history sense, I'm talking about true church of Jesus Christ, are most of the time are the ask of faith that we're asked for is, is small. Yes, to us, it can feel really big in the moment. I'm not discounting that. But we need to understand big picture. And that should give us courage. Should be encouraged by Hushia this morning and all those who have gone before us because whether it worked out for Hushia or not, we know God is faithful. And he holds those who are his in his hands. We're going to be good, no matter how it plays out. Whether it plays out well or not, we're going to be okay. And by I mean we're going to be okay, I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, your, your eternity is okay. You know, and we need to remember, we have that advantage. We have that advantage of understanding eternity and where we stand in it. And so we should be able to live here with great joy and courage and boldness in the Lord. Knowing that our worst case scenario is still really, really good. It's still really, really good. But notice that cancel one out because that was the will of the Lord. Whatever God asks you to do and whatever role he asks us to play, we also have that confidence that he will be with us. I just want us to remember that this morning. Verse 15, Then Hushia said to Zadok and to Abathar the priest, This is what Athaphel canceled Absalom, the elders of Israel, and this is what I have canceled. Now therefore, send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend the night at the forge of the wilderness, 
but by all means cross over, or else the king and all the people who are with him will be destroyed. Now Jonathan and Ahimez were staying at Enrogel, and a maidservant would go and tell them, and they would go and tell, the, and tell King David, for they could not be seen entering the city. But a lad did see them and told Absalom. So the two of them departed quickly and came to the house of a man in Bahurim, who had a well in his courtyard, and they went down into it. And the woman took a covering and spread it over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it, so that nothing was known. Then Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house and said, Where are Ahimez and Jonathan? And the woman said to them, They have crossed the brook of water. And when they searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. So again, we see there's other people that are working for David as you know, spies. Hushia has to get that message. It was already determined it would be through um, the sons of, of the priests. But you know, there are multiple people here who are taking risks. This maidservant... Um, you know, takes a risk. There are other people along the ways that have to have, you know, put themselves on the line. Um, and for them, those are life and death decisions. And they put themselves on the line. In verse 21, it came after that, after they departed, they came out of the well and went and told King David. And they said to him, Arise and go quickly over the water, quickly, for thus Ahithophel has counseled against you. And then David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed the Jordan. And by dawn, not even one remained who had not crossed the Jordan. Now when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and arose and went to his home, to his city, and set his house in order and strangled himself. And thus he died and was buried in the grave of his father. That's pretty intense as well because, you know, and Ahithophel... Apparently, you know, he had a pride issue. You know, he had a pride problem because you know you see that's in the situation. Um, you know, he still could have been there as an advisor. He still could have been there, you know, to see how things had played out. But for him, it was more than just about being on the side that won. It was about his position in that, his place in that. And when that wasn't going to be what he had hoped it would be, um, he goes and methodically sets things in, in place and commits suicide. That's a terrible thing as well. Then David came to Mahanam, and Absalom crossed the Jordan, he and all the men of Israel with him. Absalom set Amasa over the army in place of Joab. Now Amasa was a son of a man whose name was Ithra the Israelite, who went into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zariah, Joab's mother, and Israel and Absalom camped in the land of Gilead. Now when David had come to Mahanim, Shobi, the son of Nahash, from Rabah, the sons of Ammon, Machir, the son of Emil, from Lodabar, and Barzillah, the Gilead, from Rogel, brought beds, basins, pottery, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, lentils, parched seeds, honey, curd, sheep, and cheese of the herd for David and for the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Um, that's just kind of a neat um, insight there at the end of that chapter of the people who came um, to help, who they were. Um, and um, again, we see Amiel from, from Lodabar who had taken care of um, Jonathan's son, um, Mephibosheth, 
And here we see, you know, we saw that in chapter 9, and then we see here again um, in chapter 17, him, you know, doing what is good and what is right and providing for others. Um, he's one of those characters that's an, oftentimes an overlooked or unknown hero um, in the scripture, um, but what he did was important. I love how the, um, the description here with the details of what they brought. I mean, you could have just as easily said, and they brought supplies. You know, it's like, we get this, like, list of what was brought. So you kind of get a, you know, you get a picture. You get to think about um, what they had and, and how they were provided for, you know. And it wasn't just, um, here's, some, here's some beans or here's some lentils, you know, for you to survive on. It was like, man, this, this you, you can make some nice tasting stuff out of what, they brought here. I mean, they've got, they've got cheese and meat and honey and all sorts of stuff. I mean, they're, they're having good food. Um, so that's, that's just neat to see the care that was taken for others. It's a, I mean, there's a hospitality, even in a crisis, that was, that was given that's pretty awesome. It's like over and above and beyond what was necessary, because what was necessary was survival. It was like, we're going to give you what you need to survive, but you're even going to get to enjoy that and get some like normalcy of life and some, you know, something good in your time of despair. And, and you know, to be able to do that for people, if you have an opportunity and privilege to be able to do that for people in life, that's a pretty neat thing to be able to go above and beyond just what was necessary, but to give something really good. Let's keep moving forward. Um, I'm going to get a little bit further this morning. <clears throat> Chapter 18. Then Absalom numbered the people who were with him and set them over the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. And David sent the people out, one-third under the command of Joab, one-third under the commander of Abishai, the son of Zariah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the command of Idiah the Gittite. Remember, he's the one who came from Gath um, of the Philistines, and he had put his lot in with David, but he hadn't even been there for very long. But because he went with David and he developed a trust, you know, with David, David puts him over one-third. I mean, it's a lot of trust to put into someone that's a relative stranger, but, um, you know, sometimes there's that saying in, in, in sports, you know, game recognizes game. And in, and, and in this case, it was a situation where heart recognized heart. <laughs> you know, so uh, sometimes you'd have an immediate connection with people if you've got the same heart, same type of heart, and so they had that. Um, I'm sure David as well knew of the reputation of this man um, as well. So in that sense, you know, he, it's, it's faith, but it's not a blind faith. That makes sense there. All right. And the king said to the people, I myself will surely go out to you also. Verse 3, but the people said, you should not go out, for if we indeed flee, they will not care about us. Even if half of us die, they will not care about us, but you are worth 10,000 of us. Now, therefore, it is better that you be ready to help us from the city. Then the king said to them, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate, and the people went out by hundreds and thousands. The king charged Joab and Abishai and Adi, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king charged all the commanders concerning Absalom. Then people went out into the field against Israel. And the people took place, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. And the people of Israel were defeated there 
before the servants of David, and the slaughter there that day was great. 20,000 men, for the battle was spread over the whole countryside, and the forest devoured more people that day than the, than the sword devoured. It sounds like a pretty intense forest, um, you know, for, for real, but, you know, that sort of difficult terrain with battle and people running, and um, there's a lot of, apparently there were a lot of um, places of danger there. In verse 9 we read this, now Absalom happened to meet the servants of David, for Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak, and his head caught fast in the oak. So he was left hanging um, between heaven and earth, while the mule that was under him kept going. When a certain man saw it, he told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in the oak. And Joab said to the man who had told him, Now behold, you saw him. Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? And I would have given you ten pieces of silver and a belt. And the man said to Joab, Even if I should have received a thousand pieces of silver in my hand, I would not put my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king charged you and Abishai and Atiah, saying, Protect me for the young man Absalom. Otherwise, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there is nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Then Joab said, I will not waste time here with you. So he took three spears in his hand and thrust him through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men who carried Joab's armor gathered around and struck Absalom and killed him. So that's a pretty brutal scene. Remember from before, you know, Absalom was known for this head of hair that he had was, that was unlike um, the hair of others. It was, it was large. It was intense. It weighed a lot. Um, you know, he was the most handsome person in the land. Um, for those without as much hair, um, you don't have to worry about this sort of problem. But <laughs> this, this, you know, some, some of our folks are getting beards now where I kind of worry about them when they go out in the woods. You know, there's so, so much hair uh, that uh, you know, could get stuck somewhere. So um, we don't have to, you know, that, that, this situation is, is pretty unique. Absalom there hanging in an oak tree by his hair. You know, this man sees it, tells Joab, and Joab's like, why didn't you kill him? He's like, are you kidding me? You heard what David said about his son to you and the other commanders, and if I had done that, you know, you're just going to be like, well, we didn't tell him to do it. You know, like, you can give me a thousand pieces. So you can make me a very wealthy man. Would not matter, because what are you going to, you know, he had the right philosophy. Like, what are you going to do this with his money if you're not alive? Right? Or you know, you know, what are you going to do with that money? So, um, Joab goes. Joab, we've seen numerous times. Joab is loyal to David, but Joab also just kind of does what Joab wants to do. You know, we've seen that more than once um, in Joab's, you know, life. Um, and David keeps him around because Joab is so capable. You know, it, he kind of like, he understands that Joab doesn't always follow orders exactly. He also understands that Joab is really difficult to replace because of his abilities. So, there's that. Um, again, we see that happen a lot in our world. Somebody has unique abilities, they get away with more. Um, it's not justice, it's not fair, it's not whatever, but it's reality. 
And so in this case, this is the situation. Absalom um, you know, has kind of run into the wrong person here because Joab clearly heard what David said to him and is like, I'm just going to do what I think is best. And that's what, that's just kind of what Joab did. That's who he, I mean, that's, if you're going to sum him up, it's like loyal, but. Like loyal, extremely capable, but. <laughs> not going to do everything you say. Um, not going to follow all the commands. And so he's like, I'm going to take care of this myself. And he does. He does not take David's request and obey it. Not request, command. He disobeys a direct command. So here we go. Then Joab blew the trumpet, and the people returned from pursuing Israel, for Joab restrained the people. And this is why he did what he did. Because, you know, he's making a calculated decision. He said, you know, as long as Absalom is alive, this plot could continue. The people could still see hope in Absalom, who they were anointed to be the king. But he knows he can cease the bloodshed, and he can save the lives of many, many people if he just kills Absalom. So that's what he does. He makes an executive decision. Um, and he it says, Joab restrained the people. You know, he's the one, the commander, who blows the trumpet and says, you know, gives a signal, this is over. Then Absalom, they took Absalom, cast him into a deep pit in the forest, and erected him over a very great heap of stones, and all Israel fled, each to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself a pillar which is in the king's valley, for he said, I have no son to preserve my name. So he named the pillar after his own name, and it's called Absalom's Monument to this day. Based, the sad reality is at this point, um, the sin of Absalom had caught up to him. You know, as Numbers 32, 23 um, says, Be sure your sins will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. You know, his wickedness had caught up to him. Psalm 37, 1, 1 and 2, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Verse 19, Then Himaz, the son of Zadok, said, Please let me run and bring the news that the Lord has freed, um, freed him from the hands of his enemies. But Job said to him, You are not the man to carry news this day, but you shall carry news another day. However, you shall carry no news today because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said, said to the Cushite, Go tell the king what you have seen. So the Cushite bowed to Joab and ran. Now Himez, the son of Zadok, said once more to Joab, But whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. And Joab said to him, Why would you run, my son, since you have no reward for going? But whatever happens, he said, I will run. So he said to him, Run. Then Himez ran by the way of the plain and passed up the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up on the roof of the gate by the wall and raised his eyes and looked, and behold, a man running by himself. The watchman called and told the king, and the king said, If he is by himself, there is good news in his mouth. And he came nearer and nearer. Then the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, Behold, another man running by himself. And the king said, This one also is bringing good news. And the watchman said, I think the running of the first one is like the running of Himaz, 
the son of Zadok. And the king said, This is a good man and comes with good news. Ahimez called and said to the king, All is well. And he prostrated himself before the king and with his face to the ground. And he said, Blessed is the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who lifted their hands against my lord the king. And the king said, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And Ahimez answered, When Joab sent the king's servant and your servants, I saw a great tumult, but I do not know what it was. And the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. And behold, the Cushite arrived, and the Cushite said, Let my lord the king receive good news, for the Lord has freed freed you this day from the hand of all those who rose up against you. Then the king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, Let the enemies of my lord the king, and who all who rise up against you for evil, be as that young man. The king was deeply moved, and went up to the chamber over the gate, and wept. And thus he said as he walked, O my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I have died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. Um, so we see in that scene, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting scene. We've seen others run and give news to David. Remember, there was a man who ran and gave news, making a false claim that he had been the one to kill Saul. And then, you know, David says, your own testimony has been against you and has him killed. And I think Joab's reasoning for telling Ahimez not to tell that news of um, Absalom is because he wanted to protect his life. And he knew that um, David was unlikely to do anything harsh to a foreigner who came, you know, was given an order to go and to deliver, you know, that news. Um, and so he sends, you know, the Cushite. Ahimez is, is apparently a really, you know, he went a, a little better route, it seems like, and he's also very, very fast. He had a reputation. You know, they seem from a distance, and it's like the running is like so-and-so's. I mean, the dude, you know, had a reputation. He's got wheels for days, you know. So, and it's just amazing how God made us, you know. I mean, there's many of us who've been like, like myself, who's like, man, I'm not a runner, and I couldn't do, you know, X. But how God has made, you know, humans capable. Um, I would like to have seen some of these guys from the past, you know, with some of the races we have today and how we do. You know, I saw there's a guy who ran 100 miles at a pace of well under seven minutes a mile the entire 100 miles. I mean, what the human body can do is just, like, ridiculous. You know, and you wonder some of these, you know, in the past, how God had given people certain gifts. Like, I want to see him as one of these marathons. Like, what time would he have gotten, you know, like... In a marathon, you know, he, he, he was flying long distances. Um, so that's just a little aside. But, you know, he knows what he's not supposed to say. So he, he stands back and lets, um, you know, he follows the order of Joab. Um, and when David hears that news, you know, he's, he's crushed. And we can understand it. And I think this is the... You know, the conflict between David as king on a, you know, cognitively, like David as king, and the heart of David as father. You know, and David has a heart, you know, that he would rather die instead of his son. I think, you know, most people probably have that perspective, even if their son's done something really terrible, they'd rather take it themselves than 
you know, have their, their son suffer for it. Um, you know, so there's a, you see his, his humanity, you know, in that. But in that, he also forgets that he has a responsibility as king. You know, he has a real responsibility as king, because let's read what, just the first few verses of chapter 19, and we'll stop here. It says, Then it was told Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourns for Absalom. The victory that day was turned to mourning for all the people, for the people heard it said that day, The king is grieved for his son. So the people went by stealth into the city that day, as people who are humiliated steal away when they flee in battle. The king covered his face and cried out with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. And then Joab came into the house of the king and said, Today you have covered with shame the faces of all your servants, who today have saved your life and the life of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines by loving those who hate you and by hating those who love you. For you have shown today that princes and servants are nothing to you. For I know this day that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Now, therefore, arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, surely not a man will pass the night with you. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. So the king arose and sat in the gate. And when they told all the people, saying, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate, then all the people came before the king. So here, Joab, um, you know, has a hard word. We also say Joab was always willing to speak his mind, <laughs> you know, and to say, you know, again, you know, he's going to do his own thing, but he's also willing, you know, he, and, and in this situation, it's interesting because Joab is commander, but, you know, he's, he's um, intimately connected, you know, to, to David and the whole deal, and he feels liberty to say, this is what the truth is. Um, and he says it fully because he reminds David like look it's not just you who would have died you would have said you would have traded places with him we weren't just going to kill you he's going to kill all your servants he's definitely going to kill all your other children you know he wasn't going to leave them alive to contend for the throne you know Absalom after killing his father certainly would have had all of his at least at minimum all of his brothers executed and if he's going to completely eliminate the threat, then at minimum he would banish all the sisters, or worse. Um, you know, he's not going to leave an heir. It's just not how things work in those situations. He's, he wouldn't leave an heir um, available from any other line um, than himself. And so that's reality of it. Um, and so David says, you know, you've disgraced your servants. You know, you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. So um, David then has to go and take his responsibility as king and to do what he's supposed to do as king. There is, I believe, a lesson here for us well, not when it comes to people, but just when it comes to allegiance. You know, when, when we follow Jesus, we follow him as king. Our allegiance is to him. 
And when our allegiance is to Jesus, it's not to be to another. Um, you know, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. Our allegiance is not to this world. We are to love the people of this world, you know, in, in terms of their eternal souls and wanting them to know Jesus, but we are not to love the systems of this world and to love and to have our heart affections on the things that this world has its heart set on. We're supposed to keep our allegiance for Jesus and him alone. And so the question for us as followers of Jesus is, do we love what we are supposed to hate? Sin. Do we love what we're supposed to hate? Particular sins. And do we, um, do we hate what we're supposed to love? in terms of righteousness and justice and personal holiness before the Lord. Um, you know, we're supposed to, just to give a small example, you know, we're supposed to love telling necessary truth in love. We are to hate gossip. But do we love gossip? and hate telling the truth in love because one is easy and one is hard. Gossip is easy, telling the truth in love is hard. Do we hate the one and love the other? Do we have it reversed? That's just one example. Um, another one that Jesus would give, do we love the type of, of marital love that's described in the scripture? and hate lust or do we love lust and therefore hate the scriptural love that we're supposed to have you can do that with so many different things material things do we love using material things to bless others as the scripture instructs us to do or do we love to hoard treasure as the scripture tells us not to? What do we love and what do we hate? Um, and there's, a, there's lessons, I believe, in that. And, and when I, my, my point in that this morning is just for myself and for each of us to ask that question. You know, as we examine our lives what do I love and what do I hate? And that we would love the things that God loves and that we would hate the things that God hates. That we would love what is right and good and that we would hate what is evil and sinful. Um, and may God help us to do so. Um, and may God give us the grace to recognize and the help to recognize where we don't have that right and the strength and courage to shift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and for your love. You are holy and mighty, dear God. Um, Lord, help us to see the world as you see it. Help us to see our own hearts as you see them.
Help us to see others as you see them, dear God. We pray that our heart affections will be for you. We ask it in your name, Jesus, and for your glory as we give thanks for this bread and for this cup and we remember the cost of our salvation. And in view of that great cost, help us to have our full allegiance to you, dear Jesus, in your precious name.